there is this part of me that's like, oh, but you'll still be a filmmaker one day. And I'm like, maybe I will, but maybe I have to kill the part of me that will would be okay sacrificing everything for just to make a movie. You are listening to Fruitless, a podcast hosted by me, Josiah Sutton. This is episode 11, You Are Not the Chosen One, featuring Phil Cozy. You lost one of your airpods? I... It's been two years now since I got them, or maybe even three years. This is embarrassing, but and um, I, I have done so good not losing it, and then I did it. You know how I work at Panera Bread? Yeah. Have you One lost day, AirPods there? Uh, worse, worse. So, um. I was work so one uh, one day I was working I work the QC station I'm basically they basically treat me like a pseudo manager and I'm usually always that position because I'm the fastest at it and that essentially means putting orders together mostly my job is also hopping between the lines and making things so I basically just do everything so saying that my job is anything is that's just usually where I'm standing and yeah, the soups yeah. the soups are underneath me so one day I was fiddling with one of my AirPods while doling out soup, and uh, <laughs> wouldn't you know, one of them popped off and fell directly into the um, the fucking broccoli cheddar. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like trying to serve a customer like normally in like a, you know my horrible depressed malaise of like you know fucking servitude and my customer service voice. I'm just, like, trying to, like, so I had, and that shit's, like, a, like, fucking lava. Like, I would burn myself if yeah, I... Yeah, you stuck if, your hand in if there. If I yeah. stuck my, and I burn myself all the time, but I would, like, I would scold my entire hand if I tried to fish it out with anything. Right. And so right. I'm just, like, f- fishing around in there with the ladle, uh, and, like, dumping just, like, absolutely, like, cups of it, and then fishing through the cup with, like, a fork until I find it. And I cleaned it up, and it still worked. Hey, there you go. So my my thing that pisses me off about my missing AirPod is uh, that. So okay, so I I lose it in a stupid way, but it's it, it's just so I I struggle to fall asleep without like listening to something, and so I have I fall asleep with my AirPods in like all the time. Just and, listening to Neil Sarega edits, just like, yeah. you know. And I've been told when I do that, that in the middle of the night, I take them out and just set them on the bed, which is bad, but I don't know how to not do that. And I've like, quote unquote, lost them numerous times and then just like found them, you know. That's insanely in interesting that you just don't remember them. I apparently do it in the middle of my sleep. But um, then there was a morning the other morning that I could not find the other one, and I, oh, I just we, I tore apart the bed. I have no idea where it is. So I'm one AirPod down. So that is a long way of communicating why I have been having technical issues when I record with Bluetooth devices. And Man. welcome 
to Fruitless, everybody. Welcome to Fruitless. <laughs> I don't. I don't say welcome to Fruitless. I say welcome to Mammonberg, like every week. Yep. So. You're about to. Say, yeah. So I. Yeah. So welcome Fruitless. It's it's been a been a month and a half off. I think something like that. Um, and I want to get back into making Fruitless episodes. So we're kind of we're I'm easing back in, getting somebody on who I'm comfortable chatting with. That's right. It is my fellow co-host from Mammonberg, uh, Phil. Cozy? Can I say your last name? Yeah, you can say my last name. Okay, I have, right. I Phil, have no Philip shame. Cozy. Yeah, Philip Cozy himself. Um, and the the topic I gave him, I I doubt we'll even fully stick to, and it's vague enough as is. Was just Phil and I talk about movies a lot. Phil's a big film guy, and so I just wanted to talk about movies, and I'm assuming we'll take that in weird directions. Uh, <laughs> I like weird directions though. I kind of yeah, want to start off with my own relationship to movies. Like, I think well, we should I was, start off yeah, with it. I, I was going to say, I was, uh, I, I was going to say, what I usually do is give an elevator pitch, who are you, and all that, and that could be that. So, introduce yourself, and through that, tell us your story with, with the art form known as cinema. So, my journey to liking film, it, it's, it's a complicated thing, because I wanted to be a filmmaker for so long, and I still do, but it's, it's just the issue of just, like, trying to maneuver it in the modern industry. Uh, so, I, I started out a, an idealistic, young, plucky high schooler, and there was just never anything I wanted to really do in high school. Like, I like English class was my favorite thing. That was the thing I was good at. And I liked stories, but uh, th- I usually liked when people put on a movie. Just growing up as a kid, I was just like, when I was younger, academically, I was just very bad at school. I'm better at school now. Like, I don't know why I'm better at school now, but I guess when uh, you're in you, your mid Because you care more. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I feel like when you hit your mid-20s, your brain actually does fully develop. Or at least is close to yeah. fully develop. I think it finishes developing in your 30s. Like, at the mm-hmm. end, like the beginning of your 30s. So, like, my brain is still, like, you know, I'm finally in a place where, and I was a late bloomer, too, so it took me a while to do things that were, like, for example, I just got my license, so it took me a while to do a lot of things that normal people, quote-unquote normal people, do at younger ages. So it took me a really long time. So, I don't know, so it started when I was in high school, my my fascination with movies, because, obviously, I went through an insufferable phase where I was like, damn, there's, like, not many good mo-. Like, I don't know, for a long time, I was like, geez. Like, every time I watched a movie, I'd be like... When I was a kid, Transformers movies were fun to me. Because, like, I think everybody has an, a cultural yeah. exposure to movies. You know what I mean? You you get a cultural exposure to, like, American cinema. But American cinema is, like, Transformers, the Marvel films, you know... Especially since they were yeah. coming out as I was growing up, most of, like, phase one shit. So, yeah, which is, you know, not to get too far to that, but that's also the better, in my opinion, the better era of Marvel. Like, yeah, I think Iron Captain Man America, and those... the first one, is a competent movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the, the phase ones were more, like, actually defined films and less of, like, a content slurry. Yeah, yeah. Less so, of this, like, self-referential metaverse stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you get a cultural, I feel like a lot of kids get a cultural exposure to movies, but they don't get a cultural exposure to film, which is uh, me uh, parroting uh, Martin Scorsese, which everyone calls him pedantic for, uh, creating like basically a a, a difference between film and entertainment. So I think one of the first, uh, 
So this is this is embarrassing, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I was I was a nostalgia critic fan. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I, I think everybody is a nostalgia critic fan at one point. If you're seriously into movies and you're my age, you were a nostalgia yeah. critic fan at one point. The caveat is that you eventually realized that film criticism is actually far better than that. And then you just ignored anything he ever had to say about movies for the rest of your life. But um, he did make a good recommendation. So one of the first art films I ever watched, like, my uncle bought me, I asked for it for, like, Christmas, was, like, uh, he recommended Citizen Kane, the Nostalgia Critic. It's, like, one of his favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I watched it, and I was like, wow, Citizen Kane is a very good movie. Uh, and then I breaking news, everybody. Yeah, Citizen, Citizen Kane, good movie, good movie. <laughs> and then I, uh, and then one of the subsequent films that I think is still—it's not one of my favorite films ever ever made, but uh, it's one of the films I come back to, and I'm like, uh, never again will there be a movie this visually stunning in like in this specific way. And that movie is Terry Gilliam's Brazil, mm, which yeah, was yeah. also recommended to me. By the nostalgia critic. And I think no other movie could be Br Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Because there's no movie that looks like it. There's no movie that has that like level of design. Like a, a design that is wholly its own. Like there are movies that obviously have their own design. But Terry Gilliam's mm -hmm. like specific art style that he goes for in Brazil. The set design. You know every kind of like manufactured piece of it. That really struck me when I was like. 16 17 like yeah. that was so impressive to me you know it's something embarrassing i've never actually seen brazil it's a it's a uh, good movie it's kind of what's weird about brazil is the nostalgia critic is like the epitome of a broken clock being right twice a day is that he'll he'll recommend on occasion a good art film and then you'll realize that like he recommended it because he has no idea why he likes it but he just knows yeah. that he likes it or that it's a well, it's like, I don't know, maybe this isn't true with Nostalgia Critic, but with a lot of people, it's, you know, they recommend it because this is a movie that is recognized as a great movie. And so yeah. that's like kind of their like, yeah, their, their connection to it mostly. But yeah, uh, my, my, my Terry Gilliam relationship is entirely off Monty Python and then, um, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That was basically my relationship with him as a kid. He's he's a very hit or miss director, I feel, but like that's yeah. kind of besides the point. Like I, I started sure, yeah. one of the first big like art house films I really, really liked was like Birdman. Mm -hmm. I remember being enamored with Birdman when I saw it for the first time. So that that really like and I think that's for all of its criticism, it's criticisms, it's a very unique and a very good film that I feel like has been forgotten way too quickly. I feel like I never hear anyone talk about it. But that's also like the current state of film media is that you just never hear people talking about the good movies. Like, they happen for one month and then just disappear into the ether. But essentially, to me, what was crazy about that was just, it was just, I don't know, like, I think there's a, there's a juxtaposition for me where there was that moment where I was like, movies can be so much more than whatever mm -hmm. the fuck I grew up watching. Because, you know, every once in a while as a kid, you watch one of those, like, culturally accepted movies that are good. Like Jaws. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
right. Yeah. Most Steven Spielberg stuff. Like you watch a movie that most people like, and it's it's in the canon of American film, and it's it's not on the outside of the canon of American film. You know, you you never get to see like a John Waters movie. You know, that's never introduced mm-hmm. to you. But you know, you're able to see. Maybe you'll get like you'll get a Pulp Fiction every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, I I was I think I think lucky enough. My my dad was a big Coen Brothers fan, and so um, I have a lot of like like Oh Brother Where Art Thou is really deep in my brain as like a, a yeah. But I I don't think that's true with a lot of people. Yeah, I I it's a it's a hard experience because most people I think most people in America I think the state of the American film industry in the last thirty years have kind of defined what an entire generation of people kind of think movies are versus what movies actually are and can be you know what i mean there's that there's that horrible rift you know it's why i always hate that like the the you know the innocuous statement uh films are just entertainment they're supposed to be entertaining and i'm like no they're not supposed to just be entertaining what does entertainment mean and then you you know you go into this whole rabbit hole where you get really angry and clenched and you're just like well what does it mean to be entertaining is a horror movie entertaining are you like are you sitting there enjoying it the whole time no you're supposed to be scared they're supposed to elicit different emotions screw you and then like you know yeah sure but I, I was really, I was really like aggressive about movies when I was younger, because like you don't grow into that. Like I don't know. I think there, it, it's like to be honest, I relate to it in the same way that I relate to religion now. That like I think I'm, I know my religion pretty well at this point. You know, we talk about it all the time. But like the idea, the fact of the matter is, most people know about like a fourth of what you know on any given like, and they'll say something innocuous that most people think about you know your religious beliefs or your like or movies where it's like well movies are supposed to be entertaining or it's like well christians don't believe in evolution right like just stuff like that like just kind of dumb shit yeah like yeah like a a random comment like well the old testament god is is the bad one yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's that like it's the culturally accepted dogma of really dumb things it's and, just, well, yeah, and, and I think part of maturing is learning not to be an asshole about that. Like, yeah, you know, that that's like a really think, hard thing. Yeah. yeah, It's part of maturing is understanding that people are going to learn and learn and kind of say dumb things because they will get it from somebody who, to be honest, is probably pretty apathetic about the topic. It doesn't bother to learn. Yeah, well, and that they might not just like be that interested in the same thing you are. And so, like, yeah, for a lot of people, movies are just going to see the Marvel stuff, and I think that's fine, you know. And so it's it, I, you know, there there's always this challenge whenever you get into a subject of like not becoming an asshole if you want to like if you get deep into a subject, you know. Yeah. And it, it's tough because most like, there's, people don't care. <laughs> there's a juxtaposition between like like par- a part of me resents that because it's like oh man I'm trying to rail against the monoculture here. You should care, but like also I know that like people got other shit going on. It doesn't does it really matter to most people if like you know marvel movies are like dumb fun that everybody seems to like kind of generally mm-hmm. like uh i mean i care that it's defi- it's ruining the industry but yeah not some random person is going to be like oh well got to save the film industry today and watch citizen kane 30 times yeah no that's that's exactly right it's it's um you know most people aren't thinking through that and that's fine i guess is is what i 
I, I guess I'm saying, but what what is bad, and we'll get into with the industry, is that like in the background, Disney is like taking on a monopoly. Yeah, you let it film. develop a monoculture that essentially like subsumes all other culture uh, in a way that is. Uh, it, it's not like the best way I can describe to it is it's not organic. Like it doesn't develop mm-hmm. that way organically, which is probably the worst part. Yeah. Anyway, back to your relationship with with movies. So, so. I actually um, went to yeah. film school, but not not an accredited film school. I have a weird relationship with film school because I actually. Have had like a mentor uh mm-hmm. i'm gonna name dox him now because he is great and if you ever want to if you're in new jersey and you ever want to take like just adult classes centered around filmmaking he will if you're willing to learn and really get into it he basically if you've seen has read some of my scripts uh i went from like knowing absolutely nothing about film like script writing to being a competent screenwriter like i'm able to like type something out that looks like you you might see it in like a spec script document made by somebody who's like made a film before which is something i'm relatively proud of but uh, he will, his name is Chris Messonio. He is a New Jersey based filmmaker. Uh, he's a great guy. He's like one of the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, he really loves the industry. He, he doesn't really care about making stuff that he thinks a lot of people like. I asked him if he ever wanted to make a feature and he, he kind of just sat back and he's like, you know, I kind of like teaching more. And to be honest, uh, if I ever made a feature, uh, I don't know if I ever would, but I really just like teaching people how to make short films by making short films. So I make a lot of short films. So mm. I don't know. That's cool. I feel like he's he's chill. Like he's more interested in getting other people to learn film and have an appreciation for film and what goes into filmmaking than yeah. like really just making money off of it. Which I th- I think is now that I'm older, I was like when I when I heard that for the first time, I was like, geez, how how come he would never he would make a great uh, feature film? And now I know what actually goes into it. Uh, yeah. Um, that shit's hard. Not only is it hard, but it's also like it might it might really just not go anywhere. There are so many features mm-hmm. that just end up in like the recycling bin of like somebody's like how do I describe this? Like somebody's computer. Like they just end up on a drive somewhere in somebody's house and they're finished and they got submitted to competitions and maybe one picked them up and they just um they just don't run the festival circuit. They maybe just ran like you know maybe even if they do get picked up then there's a possibility that no one after it will ever see it again because they might not get a physical release or theatrical release at all so it's really a crapshoot but he's a great guy he basically taught me how to on a very basic level make a movie and write scripts and now i'm like now i'm trying to get back into screenwriting because i i'm like i haven't done this for so long and i have so many ideas and i really want to try even if it doesn't go anywhere yeah but uh that's kind of where I'm at. Like, and then like, uh, you know, I hit my twenties, I hit my early twenties and I was like, I'm tired. Like I worked a lot of jobs. I saved a lot of money. I bought a lot of film equipment. You've seen, I think you've seen some of my portfolio work that I have on a folder in my mm. iCloud. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, it, it was pretty okay for a film student. And I was like, man, I could really go somewhere with this. And then I just said, you know, I kind of need money to live and i do have i as everybody knows who knows me uh i've switched kind of majors i went back to school because for years i was i was kind of under the impression that like this would be the year that i make a movie that'll go somewhere and then i could jump off from that and it just never happened yeah yeah well you know 
beyond just movies as a topic, I, I do kind of think it would be fun to, no, not really fun, actually. It'd probably be a sad conversation, but get into kind of this like mid 20s malaise that you and I are both in right now. Yeah. We can well, talk about that because, a little like, bit. Yeah. Cause there's, cause yeah, I mean, we, actually, we talked about this the other night, actually. I, I have like a piece, a Substack piece that I've been sitting on and off and on working on called On Burning Out. Um, me kind of processing this sense of like, I don't know. When when you are told, uh, if you're a, a mildly intelligent or artistic person, you know, people tell you growing up that um, you, you have a lot of potential, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of a moment in your 20s if you don't end up on like the track to grad school or whatever the thing is that you're kind of faced with this like I have to work and I want to keep this dream alive, but life doesn't seem to point this way anymore. And like, that's a, that's a weird thing to think through. Cause I don't think you should let your dream die, but I also don't think you should fuck over the people in your life to make your dreams possible. You know, it's, it's a weird point of life that I'm sure anybody listening to this that's older than us is knows this feeling very well. It sucks because it's like, I think this goes back to film in some way, but I think a lot of the film of our youth was a lot of pop movies were just about like they were very they were very pop capitalist in a way it it was the phrasing that society is basically just a meritocracy and this is this is me having sympathy for weird liberals on the internet uh because i think a lot of them i think what what's weird is that um i think on mammonberg we're all We're all, like, trying- we try to be materialistic and realistic in our thinking of the world as it is. But as religious people, you know, we can't just, you know, be mis- like, we can't imagine that that's all there is. But you have to meet, kind of, the world on its own terms. And I think, despite liberals being, by and large, more annoying about, like, religion, especially, Mm. I think most of them are magical thinkers, in a way. Yeah. I think they just kind of relate to... And it's weird, like, especially with the Harry Potter shit. Like, do you remember, God, during the Trump age, when there was all that stuff about, like, you know, you know... Yeah, Trump Trump is Voldemort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it was a point of using the media we grew up with to use as a point of comparison for like real world events which i think uh if it if you were using something that was like you know il conformista like uh yeah that would be great use the movie the conformist to critique fascism because it's a critique of fascism don't like mm-hmm. don't fucking use you know ha- ya novels or yeah fucking right. wizard jesus becomes a cop like don't use that series to like critique society it's not it's not that's not even what it's trying to do but also it's it's not a good frame of reference and it's not even really cogent but i i think the i think most of the insufferable shit you see out of liberals is that they're they're on on their face they're magical thinkers i remember i saw this this terrible god awful post when i was younger where it was like you know they told us we could be uh like you know wizards at the school of wizarding and you know and then this is what real life is like and it's like mm. i think the millennial like millennial and like gen z like o- older gen z because i'm kind of like somewhere in the middle apparently you and Same. i yeah, yeah it's yeah. weird because nalima's 26 and she's uh, a millennial and i'm mm. technically gen z but apparently i'm on the border of being a millennial so like yeah but, like, yeah i'm yeah generational barriers like right are stupid folks right yeah, right. Well, 
but but no what, what i think you're getting at and i i think i agree is just kind of this um a lot of the media we grew up with was uh about like the individual chases his dreams and yeah, actualizes hyper and becomes individualistic the thing. and like you will achieve greatness and most of it was like if you really analyze it, most of it is just kind of like implicitly kind of giving the game away. Because Harry Potter, you know, think about Harry Potter mm. for five seconds. Yeah. Harry Potter is like a special rich kid who grows up to be like, he's the chosen one. Because of course he is. Like, he's poor when he lives with the Dursleys, but he's secretly rich. So, you know. Yeah, well, it's, it's I mean, a lot of the YA novels are perfectly that is it's this belief that like i've got this secret thing and people don't know this about me people don't get me but you know i'm gonna get shuttled off to you know i'm the chosen one and they don't realize it and whatever and for better or for worse that's a that's a mindset that i've had a lot of my life I, to be honest I, I think uh, it's you can i feel that way too because it's like i was supposed to do this thing that I really wanted to do, and it just ended up not happening. And they don't know that I'm destined for greatness, and that I'll finally rise above the dreck of the New Jersey yeah. suburbs, and one day I'll be king of the world. Right, and like, you know, for for me, a lot of this stuff has been has been academic as well. You know, I I was told by people I was I was smart. Um, now for me, up. it's kind of the opposite experience because for me, my ADHD. Uh, is only it's mm. only was useful growing up because now I know that people consider me smart, but for a long time, I was just like a fucking like I thought I was an idiot. I still think well, I'm stupid. I I, st I I I have the back and forth there too because I I do have ADD and I didn't go to college uh, immediately after graduating because i decided academia wasn't for me and then i decided academia was for me and i've too many you know, I, conservative I've had this... red pills about college yeah and like no god I, they'll make they'll make me a liberal. yeah they'll make me a liberal yeah no but like you know i, I went back and forth I, I did this stuff and so what what comes from that is like you know if you're academically minded and in, into theology or whatever and you're around kind of everyday people who are not interested in that and you know, you can kind of be pretentious about it you can kind yeah, of no, be like I i'm totally. the guy who knows things but once once you get online and you're around people with the share, shared interests you realize you've only scratched the surface of this subject oh, or whatever totally. subject you're into and then if you have built your identity around and this is the the if we get into the brain of josiah that i'm processing now right and I think it's similar for a lot of people who probably are listening to this too. You are suddenly challenged with your identity. Your entire identity is getting challenged because you realize you've only scratched the surface. You are not the chosen one. <laughs> and that yeah. sucks. Realizing that is not a fun it feeling. Do, it does suck because uh, you, you know? Josiah W. Sutton, you, Philip, Philip Cozy, are not destined mm. for greatness, mm. quote unquote. It's not that you yeah. won't ever do anything great, because that's kind of unknowable. You you don't know if you'll ever... Yeah. And the standards of greatness for society are very, uh, like, ill-formed and very loosey-goosey, and you, you'll never quite know if you actually have made it. It's like the Vincent Van Gogh effect, where, like, after you die, that's when people will decide if you were any good <laughs> or not. <laughs> Which is, by the way, the narcissistic dream. N the, n oh, that yeah. story is perfect because it's like okay yeah people don't like my podcast now <laughs> but when i when i die 
Yeah, Sleeper hit Mammonberg and, and Fruitless 40, like 80 years from now. They'll be like, wow, all those, all, all the future leftist yeah. Christians will be like, uh, these... These Christian shit posters, they were our they were They were on to something, yeah. Which is incredibly narcissistic, but I, I kind of like just being really open right now about our kind of narcissism. Because everybody's really narcissistic, I feel like. Everybody's narcissistic to some degree. And, like, I'm guilty of that, even yeah. though, like, most people consider me a very sweet and kind person. I think the culturing just encourages us to think narcissistically about our, our role in it anyway. Mm -hmm. And that sucks, because, like, it, what it does is that you have this kind of, like, you have this confliction in your brain where, you know, you're like, well, I'm not really that kind of person. I don't, I don't feel particularly narcissistic. But then when it comes to your place in society, you're like, I want to achieve something. I don't want to be like all of these people who apparently have never wanted to achieve anything in their lives. Like, yeah, um... Well, this was uh, something I, uh, I, I kind of, uh, you know, narcissistically going to talk about my own things I've worked on. But this is a chunk of uh, the, the, the draft of the novel I'm sitting on. This, was, this is a spiel that's in it, where one of the characters is like a young character who thinks he's going to break the chains of society and he's going to become, you know, a real hero. And there's like a consistent theme of him looking around the small town he lives in and seeing all these, these, you know, burnouts, these people that became complacent and accepted suburban life. And I, what I was trying to point out in it, I, you know, I hope it comes across, um, is that all of those people also felt that way than when they were his age. Every, you know, a lot of people have dreams. Most people do. And you it's know? a culture of narcissism <laughs> because uh, it, it's the thing is uh, a lot of the media growing up is, you know, we live in a society that tells you to follow your dreams and then is just incredibly hostile to people who want to do what, what they actually want to do. That is actually really difficult to navigate, especially if you're in the arts. Like what you find out if you're if you're artistically inclined at all. Like, you finally find out that you're good at filmmaking, you know, in your late teens, early 20s, that you have at least a knack for some of it. And that makes you like, oh shit, I act, I'm good at something. That, that was me. That was like me finding out that I was good at something. And I was like, I'm fucking good at something. Yay. I can actually do something with my life. And then like immediately after that is then it's, it's like, you're good at something. Now you have to find a way to monetize it. Which is yeah. insufferable because it's 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 the worst of all possible situations because our society has to monetize things. So when you feel like you finally cracked the code of who you are, and that could come when you're 20 or that could come when you're 50, that you finally like found the thing you were good at. Uh, and now you you found out that like society is structured in such a way that it's extremely hostile to anybody who wants to do anything other than like you know churn out capitalist nonsense and it's like oh great the best of all possible scenarios baby and i think going back to what you said about being like a theology nerd is like most people don't go really in depth into a lot of things and i think egotistically we convince ourselves it's that way because people are like um naturally stupid or incurious which i don't think is true we think that way because we're the ones destined to succeed but yeah the the reason is that most people ha don't have the time or they have like practical things to be interested in more, or like they have to survive 
but they have other things to think about. Like, I once got into, like, um... I, I once got into, like, an argument with a neo-pagan at my college. Not an argument, it was more like a discussion. And he kept calling, like, he said that he liked calling, like, this is the kind of person he was. He liked calling, like, uh, Christian theology, Christian mythology, because it pissed people off. And he just liked <laughs> getting a rise out of, like, religious people. And, um, I was taught, he was t trying to tell me, I think it was this, which is this funny, that, um, versions of, of the devil in Western, uh, like, Western iconography, horns, goat legs, tail, that specific uh version of the devil was like you know that was based off of his claim was that it was based off of like fro like proto proto what is it proto irish belief like proto irish paganism not even celtic paganism like proto irish sure. paganism yeah. And it was a deity called the Horned God, which I think this is partially true, that there are depictions of some sort of unnamed horned well, god that has been yeah. lost to time. Like, it looked like a satyr, That's and also satyrs also influenced, so it's not, this isn't just one influence. But, so, you know, his claim was that, like, you know, this specific version of, of the devil, and I'm like... Oh, um, so you're talking about the Satan, right? And he's like, what do you mean the Satan? And I'm like, well, you know, in Christian theology, it's kind of more complicated than, like, it's a primordial force of evil. And, you know, it's, he's not like, cause, cause obviously I came at the angle that I was a queer Christian and like, he obviously had the idea that Christians can't be queer. That doesn't happen. And, uh, you know. So then at one point I was like, well, the Satan is like a primal, like primeval, like obviously a fallen angel in Christian theology, but that's still like a, it's a cosmological force. It's not just like a dude out there trying to make people evil. Like it, it's more cosmic and primordial and like disturbing yeah. than that. And like, obviously he'd have been dealing with evangelicals who, their perception of the devil is a guy who makes you gay. So, you know, it's... <laughs> So he's like, oh, oh. And then, like, his friend, who was a trans man, he was very nice. His man friend chimed in, because we were talking about, like... We were talking about, like, Christians of, like, other, like, backgrounds. And this guy grew up Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. He didn't participate in the church anymore for his own reasons. But he was actually pretty knowledgeable about Orthodoxy. And he's like... We were talking about, like... He seemed kind of surprised, because we were talking about, like, Copts and, like, Egyptians... And, like, Middle yeah, Eastern yeah. Catholics and how they're kind of the origin of the religion. Like, you know, Middle Easterners are the origin of the religion. And that it's a Middle Eastern Semitic religion. He was like, oh, well, yeah, like, he was getting slightly uncomfortable because, like, the fact that he, like, you know, had to, like, reconcile that this was a religion started by mostly brown people and that he couldn't go for the low blows anymore kind of made him a mm. little uncomfortable. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because once you have a... Com and this happened... Mind you, this happens to anything. Once you have a complicated... Once you have more than a sophomoric understanding of anything, this happened to me in my, my most recent history class because my teacher is good. She's not... I wouldn't consider her great, but I'm not sure if that's the limitations of the class or that's her actual beliefs because the issue is that, like, it's a lot... Like, she's clearly left of center... But the issue is that, like, she never defines, like, materially things like white supremacy or, like, all these, like, how they serve a function. Because I think the liberal attitudes toward it are very sophomoric and that they're just kind of like a primordial evil that exists in society. 
And what's weird is she knows who Cornell West is. And Cornell West, if you know anything about Cornell West, he's actually a very, even though he is a very religious man, he also uses materialist topics when like talking about this shit. In the, because I got the chance to like sit down and like and see Cornell West speak, which was an honor. She brought me along. Uh, Like he, he was like, he sat back and he's like, well, you know, I don't really like concepts like whiteness, you know, I don't really like ideas like that because it's too abstract. It's too exists in the abstract. Then he leaned over and banged on the stage and said, you know, you got to focus on what's here, what's here. Which was his mm. way of, like, kind of saying you have to think about it, like, materially. Yeah. And, right, like, it's right. material function in society. And he was trying to say that, like, whiteness is just, like, an abstract and you can't, like, you know, what is whiteness is just kind of, like, defined by, like, cultural forces that mean something different to everybody. And I think that's too complicated for, sadly, a bunch of community college students who have to get through a history class for yeah. a credit. But it's sad yeah. that it... It's sad that that's too complicated for... Because she probably... I I feel that she knows that. I feel that... But the issue is that she has to boil it down to very sophomoric terms to make it palatable for, across the political spectrum, a class of people who, you know, are Mm -hmm. like community college students taking this class so they get their history credit. Yeah, right, right. You you can't expect everybody to be interested in stuff to the same level right right and i think the sad part about it is especially with movies bringing it back to our shared experience with movies and trying to pursue filmmaking is it's very easy it's extremely easy to feel inadequate and just stop that that was what happened really for me is that uh, like filmmaking because filmmaking is hard filmmaking is one of the hardest things you can do because anything could go wrong and it's comprised of so many like moving parts Yeah, that you just can't like I think a lot of narratives in our society are like just go up get up this morning and just just do the thing like you know if you're working on a book write a few lines of your book today you know like that self-help like you know get up uh, because like guess what you cannot make you cannot do that with a movie I mean you could do it with a screenplay you can write your screenplay like that but once you get past the screenwriting phase and let's say your movie doesn't let's say a studio doesn't accept it and like nobody nobody wants to make this thing and you're like I want to make this thing you can't fucking will a movie into existence with no resources you have to have all the equipment needed to make the film you need to have the entire crew you need every like all of the actors to be somewhat competent you need locations and you need capital for all of those things and more so much more and then if you want to like and this could be like a team like your crew could be a team of five people you know it could be like what they had for a ghost story which was a very like Less than $200,000, an incredibly small crew. But the issue is you still need to find people. And that you might just be landlocked at that point. Like, you might not just be able to find enough people who are interested in movies in your area who pursue it because your state doesn't have, like, film infrastructure. Right, yeah. And everybody who's interested in doing those things have moved to places where you actually get to do those things. Right, 
and so it's it's not as simple as just like willing this art into existence and and i i think the whole like notion that we kind of are raised with of this like you know ya novel i'm the chosen one thing is is really really bumps up with especially an art form like film that is communal i don't know if it um you know the the auteurs still needed people like they they still needed other people working and i i even academia okay i'll I'll make the like it can complicate this with academia because uh, like when you think of like the great intellectuals of history right um we're more inclined to really think about them as these like individuals that go out and they think hard and then they have these brilliant ideas but that's like not how it has it plays out and one of the biggest aspects of that that we forget about is, and this is kind of related to kind of kind of a, a missing chunk here, but it is the dom- domestic labor. So, like, um, all of the great 19th century historians had wives, wives who cooked and cleaned and ran their households. And some of them, some of the richer ones, had wives who were basically like, head masters to a whole army of servants that were keeping the house running long enough that they could have the time to focus on being the next, you know, great historian of the 19th century. And that was a team effort that just because their name is associated with it, their wife put just as much work into making that possible for them. And so it, the chosen one notion, it like doesn't exist it's just that, like, in a lot of ways, the the situation we, we are in in the last few, you know, decades as the feminist movement has kind of changed the d- dynamics of, of domestic labor and stuff a bit anyway, is like, I, know, you know, like, no longer able to just like, I don't know, let my let my partner do all of the domestic work for me. And then I go get to be awesome on the internet and then take the credit for that. Like, yeah, just remember you know, th- that, fellas, that dynamic has changed. Just remember, <laughs> like, fellas, the reason the next great film hasn't been made yet is because women demanded rights. Because of that's, feminism. No, yeah. no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. What <laughs> my, my point is like, I'm woefully though, misinterpreting you for yes, comedic effect. It's, it has always been a team effort. It's that there are a lot of people that were written out of history who were part of the team that made oh, exactly that, you know, and, and that's the problem like that we come to now as like you and I, right. Is, you know, that we need money if we wanted to pursue some artistic passion. And I still have dishes that I don't do enough of, you know, and I have chores that I need to do and I don't, and I, it's wrong. It's selfish and narcissistic to shove those things on someone else so that you can chase your dreams. And I think that's something that's hard to, that's not palatable to an individualistic mindset that we're raised in with no, the totally. art that we consume. Totally. It's, and it's, it's it, so sad because yeah. like even amongst the, um, even amongst the auteurs, you know, all the job like, you know, everybody focuses on directors so much, but, like, you know, I feel like a, like a sixteenth of those know who, like, of the people who focus on directors know who, like, Roger Deakins is. And he's, mm-hmm. like, the biggest cinematographer there ever was. Yeah, like, you know, fil- film is a great example um, of an art form like this, where because I think it's easier to imagine the lone uh, intellectual behind the novel 
for instance. Although, like I'm saying, that's not really as true as it sounds. But like film, it's like it's it's impossible to be a to, to really hold to a complete auteur vision when you talk about it. I mean, I think we still do it because, you know, I mean, Scorsese has a look. You can see it, you know, but Scorsese wouldn't be Scorsese without all the people that work with him. You oh, know? yeah. And, and he developed that look <laughs> through the use of other people like you know, he yeah. was like, you know, he Roger told, Corman. Yeah, he um, told the gaffers what yeah. to do. You know, he told the cinematographer what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was it was a it was always a team effort, and I don't know. I I think that we have done a disservice to the arts by not talking about these as about them as as communal things. You know, as as um yeah, I don't know. And I think a lot of like to be honest, from my personal experience. A lot of shitheads go into, like, fucking film school. I had this one guy I worked with who was also, like, a fi- interested in working in film. Like, he wanted to be a showrunner one day. And I was, like, trying to talk cameras with him, and he had no idea what I was talking about. I'm like, well, you want to be a filmmaker, right? You need to know, like, how camera specs work or, like, what size sensor you're working with. And he's like, no, I'll just let somebody else take care of that. I want to be the showrunner. I'll just basically be the director. And I'm like, so many of these fucking guys think they'll just waltz up into, like, you know, a movie studio and you'll never have to be, like, a grip or you'll never have to be, a ga- like, a, a gaffer, which are, like, the working class jobs in the film industry. They're the people who lug shit around. Gaffers are electricians, basically. They set up every light and make sure they don't blow or explode, and they position them each individually. And the gaffer's union actually forbids people from tampering with the lights because something could go horribly wrong because film sets are just highly flammable. But there are just, like, these systems in place and these kinds of people that, like, do this highly important job. I would, like, like I said, if one thing goes wrong on the end of a gaffer, you, you guess what, buddy? The set's burning down. And that, right. you, don't, you don't want that. So, like, it's this just flagrant disregard for anything and everything. It's, it's, it is genuinely uh, insufferable, uh, I would say. It's just genuinely, like, it's this highbrow, uh, I don't have to do anything shtick. Like, mm-hmm. it's the... You know, I'm going to be the guy who just spawns this out of the ether and you don't have to worry about it too much, honey. I'll be I'll be good. I'll be super good at it. You know, and, and it's to me, it's it's this entitlement that kind of comes with the film school mentality. Uh, obviously, I think that's modern film school. I don't think that's all film school, but that's definitely modern film school kind of has generated this. And I, I think it's genuinely very unhealthy. I think it's just kind of. I don't know. It, it's to me, it's genuinely concerning because it's like you know, you get these people who like you know think they'll never have to do one of the other jobs in the film industry, and that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I I think that this probably plays a part in this. Um, I don't know, individualistic, nar- you know, kind of narcissistic like sense of burning out that we're talking about in our twenties, because you know, if you don't have the support structure to make art like you want and find a way to monetize it also then yeah you you don't you're kind of just stuck um you know either doing it because you love it or you know giving up on it and you know i i I want to believe that i will push and like try to be a writer or whatever even if i don't make any money because i i just like doing it but you know um it's it's a communal activity and the belief that uh, you know my my brilliance 
is the thing that's going to do, you know, make me make me well known is is ultimately a self-defeating thing because, you know, I, I'm never going to be able to look at people like 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 as a as a as a, somebody who wants to write, I the impulse I should have or get into theology or whatever, right, is when I meet people who are smarter than me or people who are just as smart as me. Instead of feeling challenged by that, it should be to see that they're an, another comrade interested in this thing who I can bounce ideas off of. Because, like, you know, I, I wouldn't have finished that draft of a novel I wrote a year ago if it weren't for Jackal and uh, Josh Christensen, who I talked a lot with as I was planning out that novel. I would not have written it without the. It was a communal thing, even if it was individually me writing at the end. Um, and I think that's important. It, yeah. And if I, if I instead, you know, if, if I'm, per, you shouldn't perceive people, but, but it's, it's hard not to, when you're told that you're the chosen one, you know, like when you're, it's hard not to see people who are equally or more talented than you as, as challengers. And um, I, I think it's a really toxic mentality. It's that, it's that, awful. Yeah, it's bad. That's just capitalism. That's just undistilled. It's the it's the mm-hmm. ideas of capitalism that instead of finding allies towards the quest of making something, you know, communitarian. Like you know, let's say you you find another person who's going to be you know a filmmaker, and you you know you write your script together. And at the end of the day, the movie is made and, like, you guys end up squabbling over director's credits. At, at that point, it's just like, you made the movie together. Either be co-directors or uh, just just put it aside. It doesn't really matter at this point. And I think, I think what's great about Christianity, uh, the toot my own religious horn here, folks, is that at some point you have to kind of kill that egotistical side of yourself. You know, it's the it's the notion that a Christian should die daily that um, Cornell West said during the, the that gracious meeting I had with him. It's the notion that Christians should die daily, and just, that just means killing the part of yourself that is enamored with all this bullshit, and, you know, killing the self that is, you know, self-obsessed and awful like it's you have to let yourself die in order to bring somebody's like you have to sacrifice the parts of yourself that won't help others and you know then i think that's kind of why i'm happier pursuing journalism in a way because i feel like as a journalist i'll be able to help somebody i i don't maybe that's kind of maybe that's also uh kind of maybe that's also kind of in a in a society where journalism is becoming less and less useful uh, maybe that's also kind of presumptuous, but uh, I still believe that journalism can be a force for good in the world. So I want to do something that... And I, I've been thinking a lot recently about film and what it means to me. I haven't been able to sit down and watch a, like just watch a movie in a while without going to the theater and seeing it. Like, I, I have trouble. I, I have, like, a wall of Blu-rays. And the reason is is because it's just, you know, I used to do it to try to learn something from it. And now there's a part of my brain that's yeah. like, well, what are you going to get yeah. out of it? Yeah. Well, that's, and, I mean, God, no, I feel that. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like, you're upset and you're like, I feel like I could do better. Is it like, I see all of these people writing books that are, are excellent. Like one I picked up, uh, was the next shift, which, uh, by great, uh, Gabriel Winhart, I think, or like something like that. And the, the next shift is like, just essentially about, uh, how minority women became the underclass of like health workers 
like throughout the continental United States, but specifically in Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ga- uh, Gabriel Winnen. I don't know if that's I'm pronouncing it. it right. Yeah, he's the uh, he's that uh, he, he's on Know Your Enemy a couple times. Yeah, yeah. That's where I, I actually heard about. of the book from. Yeah. So it's the the best way I could say it is that like I admire those people because they they try to make works that analyze a specific social problem, and I think that's kind of what journalism is supposed to be. And it's it's frustrating because you know it's there is this part of me that's like oh but you'll still be a filmmaker one day, and I'm like maybe I will, but maybe I have to kill the part of me that will would be okay sacrificing everything for just to make a movie and i think about the import like i i kind of thought about it recently and i kind of hated myself for thinking this but i think it's kind of true is uh movies are important but they're not that important and i think that's i think that's a harsh kind of lesson to learn is that art is important but there are things that are more important and you know i think a lot of filmmakers especially liberal filmmakers get it in this this film is going to be so important you know the green book is such an important film and i'm like (laughs) right it's not an important movie i'm sorry it's not an important movie and you're not not only are you not making it for the right reasons you know i admire somebody like tarkovsky who is like just making films to explore religion, to explore just the nature of humanity, who is grappling with gr- lofty philosophical ideas and doing so in a highly religious way that you don't see a lot of other filmmakers grapple with. I think the American analog is probably Scorsese and Terrence Malick, uh, probably more so Terrence Malick, but like, you know, it's people dealing with their own religious view. You don't really see that a lot anymore and it's like films are becoming less important because less people are willing to make the important ones they just don't care and at some point you just have to say well maybe there is something better i could be and it's not like it's not like film doesn't mean anything to me anymore i love it it i love it to death but it's it's like i don't know maybe this is just like a weird christian thing because it's like you know, did is that what God really wants for me? Is just to like make these these movies that like I that I think are good commentaries on society. You know, I think I have some good ideas that would be like get people to start thinking about and empathizing with other people. I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it's like you know, are they as important as something else I could be doing or helping somebody? Yeah. Well, and I think for for me, there's also an aspect of beyond just that, like. Because, man, the comment you made about how you you would watch movies to see what you could get out of them, like what you could learn from them, um, that that like hit me hard because that's that's been my engagement with so much media. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, kind of fr- like I, I didn't get much into my relationship with movies, but I'm kind of like a late bloomer uh, cinephile because I just with a combination of life and lack of interest throughout my life, I didn't really get into movies and thinking about film much until like the last couple years, um, which is not, which is rare. I feel like when people become like a cinephile, it's like when they're 15 and then by the time they're my age, they're not like, you know, seeing citizen Kane for the first time. So I, I always feel like a remedial kind of whatever, but what I, what I've noticed as I've been watching a lot more movies is I'm getting this itch. Like, 
oh, maybe I should be a filmmaker. And it's like, I can't fucking just engage with something and find beauty in it without having to find a way to make it be the thing, my new thing. You know, yeah, like, I've I, had I, that you know, that this is. Yeah, because, you know, I remember the same feeling of like, you know, musician. It was the longest time I was going to be a musician. And I had this sense like, you know, whenever I listen to a new genre that I really liked, it's like, could I could I do something with this? Could I experiment with this? And there's an aspect of that that's good art, art, but, the you know, artistic drive. But like a part of it is like it's like I can't find something good that's good. That's not me. I have to find a way to make it me. I have yeah, to find a way to that find I can... something that's like self-defining <laughs> all the time. You know, yes, that's and that's bad. <laughs> like... I know, but that's how a lot of people absorb things, and I I can relate because it's like you know it's how it's like when people like something, they're like, well, how do I make this me? How do I it, like essentially inject something into this thing? And it's it's sad because it's. It's sad because I think, I don't know, it's, film is important to me, and I, I wanted to be a filmmaker from a very young age. I remember, I don't know, I think we, maybe we overly pathologize sometimes these aspects of ourselves, but I remember when I was a kid, I had, um, I basically, my, my uncle bought me a, like a shitty, one of those like shitty cameras, like digital cameras, early advent digital cameras got like, like five megapixels, you know, grainy shit. And I remember right. my fascination with turning it to the movie section and just making what, what were the equivalent of kid movies? Like the equivalent of like a kid in the eighties, like with a super eight millimeter camera with no idea how to make a movie, just like mimicking what you think a movie should be made like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah like that's a formative memory for me and uh, you know i i from an early age of like i don't know i think we get these lofty goals where it's like i think from a certain kind of protestantism it's like this is what i was made to do and then you think yeah, about it's it, vo vocation yeah yeah you think about it and you're like does god really want me like i think god gives us things that we're good at and i do think he gives us things that we love but like are we made to make those things define us? I'm not so sure. You know, it's, I'm not sure that we're supposed to be defined by the things that we do for money or our interests and passions. I don't think those are supposed to define us in that way. I think, I think God, since God is essentially a being of love, I think he delights in giving us things that we love. Like, obviously. But... I don't think maybe it because the the presumptuous part is that you know when you find this thing you want to make it yours almost exclusively you know it's this is my thing you can't take this away from me you don't know how you know it's the it's the Willem Dafoe in Spider Man's like you can't do this to me you know how much I've sacrificed <laughs> you know it's it's well, that it's... but it's like. It, you know, but it's that, but like real, it's that, it's that protectiveness we have for the things that we think are ours. You know, we think that like, oh, you can't, you can't take away my love for like, you know, it's, it's that, like, it's that feeling that you don't want that, that stolen from you. But it, in reality, sometimes you have to sacrifice that thing because, well, some things are more important and, you know, it's okay to love it. 
but you don't have to subsume it or subsume it into yourself and you don't have to be particularly good at it if you want to mm-hmm. do it it's even, like cuz you'll either a get better if you pursue it or b you just love it and that's okay mm-hmm. i don't know yeah well, yeah there there's something to just i i think um that I, I I feel that at least in me, and I do think that this is true about a lot of people, but maybe not all. I don't know. Um, there is a we we have a hard time um, appreciating beauty without the desire to be the one creating it. Like, and, yeah. and that's bad because I, you know, I you you. Sh- <sighs> you should be able to listen to the you know music without the desire to be the one playing the guitar right but that's i think that's always been that's that's a a thing i've been thinking through quite a bit lately as like a, a ultimate character flaw that doesn't seem nefarious but can become nefarious you know well, you know what it and is i think in yeah and i you know like i think we've been saying is maybe it's maybe it doesn't manifest this way to most people or everybody but i do believe we live in a narcissistic cultures where the the kind of pathology we've been exploring throughout this episode is something i think a lot of people listening to this probably have some variation of yeah i think anybody can relate to it yeah and i i think that the 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 hardest challenge is to die to yourself and to learn to see beauty in the world um and not try to own the beauty not try to be the thing that creates the beauty but to just um appreciate you know i think one thing that has been immensely helpful to me to kind of like come to terms with this to try to like be better i don't know it's it's well first off obviously my religion but also taking up photography Hmm. you know because uh i this is gonna it might sound a little weird but it's um the fact that i've taken up photography has helped me because photography can you know it's a solo art you know you're a photographer you can just take pictures of the world around you and uh if you've seen some of the photos i i think i'm a pretty good photographer mm-hmm. and i like appreciating the like i think photography is the art of appreciating the beauty of other things and trying to capture yes. it in its purest form. And filmmaking is like that too, but it's more complicated. It's not just trying to capture beauty. It's trying to capture a lot of different things. And it's not that photography can't be the same way, but photography is more simple because it's oriented around it's oriented around a more kind of like less explicit appreciation of beauty. It's not trying to say anything because there are no actors who are speaking to the cameras. So it's not trying to say anything in that regard. It's trying to comment just by capturing the image of something, uh, which could be the image of something ugly or the image of like something terrible or the image of something beautiful. And I think helping to appreciate what's around, uh, I think really is for me, it's gotta be just photography because going around and learning to appreciate this stuff it 
It helps. It helps you. It helps you become a little less selfish. You know, it, it lets you like it lets you appreciate something communal that can be viewed by multiple different people. Like, how mm -hmm. do I? There was this guy. There was this guy uh, that I was. I ran into another photographer while I was taking photos of Asbury Park. He had a vintage lens on his camera, and we got to talking. And uh, we were talking about cameras, and he's like, "Well, your camera's better. You've got the Fuji, so you've got better colors." And I'm like, oh, no, no, Sony's got some pretty nice stuff. And it was nice to just see somebody else who was there, like, doing the same thing that I was doing. It didn't feel so lonely. Like, I was the only person walking around with a camera being weird and taking photos of everything and taking photos of people without them ever knowing. But, uh, it, you know, it's it's it makes you feel a little less selfish and, the, the, like, something more appreciative. Because it's like, you know, I'm not alone in this. And, you know, there are people out here trying to do the same thing as me. And, you know, this isn't, yeah. just, this isn't just mine. We're all trying to capture our own little bit of beauty. And I think, I think what's tough is that, you know, you want to make this thing... You know, you want to make it your whole life. Because, like, when I was younger... You know, I wanted to make filmmaking my whole life. I really did. I wanted to dedicate, you know, as much time mm -hmm. to it as possible. And then, you know, I got older and I, you know, and then I fell in love and I'm getting married soon. And I said to myself, I'm never going to put Nalima through instances of this where I'm not home until 3 a.m. and my kids never see me. Because I'm on a film set all the time. And, you know, there are times when I'm not on a film set, but, you know, it's like Sindeki, New York. Am I gonna, am I gonna dedicate myself to this thing, you know, so much that my kids don't even know who I am, that my wife never sees me, and that I just let the little, the little gifts that I've received outside of any sort of vocation... I let that stuff just pass me by and I, I don't think that I don't think I want to. Yeah, well I I I yeah, everything you've said here has really clicked with me and I think we're moving toward a really good kind of um conclusion. But I, I, I what 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 you said brought two things to my mind. One first was I think an, an example to me that really clicked the narcissism of being an artist kind of stuff into focus and really got me thinking about this a long time ago. How do I do this without doxing? Because I don't want to dox people. Uh, somebody I know's dad um, ruined their family's life um, because he was he was an accountant and he had a pretty well-paying job and had a family and stuff like that and decided that he was going to be a photographer. And he went back to school to be a photographer and uh, forced the wife to have to work three jobs and do all the, you know, everything. To keep things running while he went off and chased his dreams and fucked his family over. And that has always been a thing of like, I don't, I don't ever want to do that um, to someone else. You know, I, I never want to, I, I, I saw the negative side of chasing this passion. And then I wanted to give another example that's the opposite of um, exactly describing what we're talking about. And it's the same photography as well, which is my good friend, Kip Paulson. Um who, you've mentioned Kip before, uh, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've seen some of his work, and uh, I, I, I've been meaning to probably get him back on Fruitless. He was on VLVC back in the day talking about photography. He's, you know, he's really into street photography. And, 
you know, he, you know, I know him because he was a coworker at the coffee shop that I worked at and he's a, he's a mailman now. And, you know, he has very much accepted that it's, it's photography is not going to be a job for him. You know, he's not going to chase his, his, it as a career, but it is primarily about seeing the beauty in the world for him. And I, I lived with him um, during a pretty rough period of my life and had a lot of interesting conversations. And I, I, I hold him responsible for me trying to get back into like getting into film kind of late in my life, um, you know, watching a lot of movies and stuff. And then um, to taking photography kind of, well, thing for him was just, he's like, you know, this can be as simple as just taking pictures with your phone, but just, it makes you pay attention to the world. And, um, it makes you, you know, kind of takes you out of yourself. And so for him, he takes a lot of pictures and he has, he's no desire to monetize them. You know, he, it's he's hard one art show before, but it is just purely out of his own creative enjoyment. It, you know how hard it is to just monetize photos. I mean, I follow a lot of photographers whose work I really, really like, and it's insufferable because it's just like, you know, now it's NFTs. Now it's selling like photography NFTs. Well, and right. It's like, and even if even if you're not going to take it that big, like, you know, he I, I, I don't remember if he used to do it, but he doesn't do it anymore. He's like, he doesn't take, you know, it's mostly senior photos, weddings, stuff like that. That's how you end up being a photographer that makes money. And, you know, he just doesn't like shooting those things. Because it's boring, you know, you know you're you're doing like portraits of people, basically. Not that, of course, you know there are people who find passion in doing that. And man, lucky you if you like taking wedding photos, you could actually make some money doing that. But you know, like he just takes pictures because he likes it. And it was like a he has this relationship to art that I have always admired about him a lot, and that is something I'm trying to get better at. Is just not needing to be the chosen one i think that's the theme that's stuck in my brain because it's like i don't know it's it's a funny way of putting something that's going on in a lot of people's head is like that narcissistic ya brain that i think so many of us have that we we need we are we're a wizard harry you know like (laughs) no totally it's it's the idea that you are destined for greatness and everybody else isn't is is yeah they're all they're all not magical like you but but no, and part of, I think, good art is making you realize that others around you also have something worthwhile. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think that's very, but, I hate to say it, I feel like realizing the the goodness and divinity of people on their own is kind of a Christian mission. You know, it's, you know, even though, because I always hate, I always hate when people say that original sin means we're evil, it means that we're, it means that obviously it's a Christian belief that we're all capable of sin and destruction, that that becomes like intertwined with our nature where it wasn't before. But it doesn't mean we're fundamentally evil. It usually means that our a lot of our intentions can end up being bad without us even noticing it. Stuff like mm-hmm. that, like almost what we're saying with art that you can kind of yeah become a selfish dick without even realizing it because you know uh it's something naturally selfish you know like it often means that our impulses our desires are are often worse than they are good but i think it's part of christianity also to just recognize the divinity 
and the the image of of Christ in another person and instead of saying I'm better than you you know the the better call Saul I'm better than you slip you'll always be slipping Jimmy you know it's instead of that it's uh it's it's you looking at another person and you're saying god well you you're in this too huh you you really you've got dreams and hopes and loves like i do and you've been here before and i don't mm-hmm. know I, I you know where i felt this recently i was sitting in class i was sitting in class and we were watching a bit about a ken burns documentary where he was talking about this important, he was like, this is this important, uh, like, Holocaust documentary. And, well, we didn't try to relate it to modern times and the rise, like, basically the implication that, like, the rise of, of something could be learned from the rise of the Nazis and the Holocaust compared to, like, fascism in the West. Which I don't think is wrong, but I think people are kind of duping themselves to not recognize this is just a side thing to just not like i don't know i think there's a liberal fascination with everything kind of coming back to that when it comes to fascism when like fascism can evolve and be its own thing which is equally terrible but also separate from the nazis that's its own problem but that's that's its own issue but um for me it was, he referenced Ecclesiastes because he was talking about how history never repeats itself, but humans often remain the same. And it's the Ecclesiastes, you know, line nine, what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done. And there is yeah. nothing new under the sun. New under the sun. Yep. And it's, yep. what's interesting is that I think in talking to you and like, you know, feeling this you know, this mid-twenties malaise and sharing it together and talking about it together, it brings me back to that to that verse because it's, there. you know, there's nothing new under the sun. When you start to realize that somebody else feels this way and you're not the, the king of the world, who you're, only your feelings can be felt as good by you mm-hmm. and there is no one else who could possibly understand uh, there is somebody else who understands and there's somebody's at the same road as you and they might say take the same exact direction because there's nothing new under the sun and you're not the most important person who ever lived and you're not the least in person least important person who ever lived you know because the truth of the matter is in christianity uh we are all loved by our creator no matter what we've done or who we are and that's that's to people who are egotistical and want to be special and above everyone else, that sucks to them because they're like, well, I don't want to be loved like everybody else. I want to be the one who is better than everyone else. But to yeah. those of us feeling the way Josiah and I do now, it's it's liberating because it's it's the it's that Christian feeling of, you know, God died for me. God is there for me. God suffered for me. Uh, and he loves me just as much as he loves everyone else. So there is no one on this earth I can feel superior to, and there's no one on this earth that I can diminish, because if they are loved as much as me, then who am I to treat them any worse? Yeah. And I think I think that's it's humbling to think of it that way. You get to a better mm-hmm. place if you just realize that you're not special while simultaneously being incredibly special. I think that's a good place to 
to wrap this up um this has been a good conversation i i i didn't expect it to go the, this direction coming I'm on talking about did. movies but in a way in a way i'm kind of not surprised at all because um you know that it, it i think it, i think there's something interesting talking you know ha- talking about the concept of having a passion when we bring when i bring you on to talk talk about your passion <laughs> yeah because it's um, it's it's rough because it's it's the problem with having passions is that they never go away you know even though i'm not mm-hmm. pursuing film anymore it's not like yeah, I, yeah. i'm just like it's it's not like i'm re- like reformed now and it's like i've realized that my, my the folly of no. my ways it's why i took up photography because it's like it's no, less it's but... basically filmmaking but you know one frame per second yeah but but yeah, that's exactly it, though, because I think this is part of the process of learning to enjoy a format or an, an art um, for its own sake. Um, enjoy it, even if you're not creating it. And then to create without the notion that you need to be the most important figure. Um, so on all that note, uh, Phil, why don't you uh, quickly plug yourself? Where can people find you? And all oh, that now good the stuff, narcissism comes back. Up. Yes, I'm. I, I'm now narcissistic again. You can find yes. me at Cryptid Director uh, on Twitter.com, where I post about. Uh, I might start. I might start a photography Twitter. That might be That's a, a good, good idea. idea. That might be fun. Yeah. Or or Instagram. Oh God, I hate Instagram. Just fucking hate it too. I hate Instagram. I, po- so I post much. pictures on it though. I know you do because I follow you on Instagram. Yeah, I don't scroll Instagram though because it's a miserable scrolling experience. There's like 50 ads. Folks, and anyway, it- <laughs> to finish out this episode, this is like what's funny is that this is actually just like a conversation between Josiah and I. I know we say that, but there's like there's kind of like <laughs> this is, this there's no there's just- no heightened podcast reality here because like. Josiah and I have gotten instances because, you know, I don't know if you all know this. We're friends in real life. We might live states away, but we talk we talk pretty regularly. So, you know, we'll just be like fucking feeling like shit one night or I'm working at Panera Bread and I'll just be like, man, Josiah, yeah. you ever fucking feel a certain way? And he's just like, fuck yeah, yep. dude, I, I felt that way. I feel so shit right now. Yeah. And then we're this just is, like, this oh. is why it, uh... It felt like a nice way to do to bring myself back to making some more fruitless, uh, because yeah, because this is this. If the Craig bot wasn't in this Discord call right now, this would probably not have been any different of a conversation. No, it would have been the same exact conversation, <laughs> which I think is actually a good thing. I think so too, but um, I, I because this is a podcast, we should officially say. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Is is there a specific fruitless thing you say when like ending the episode? Uh, is it like no? I'll, I'll see you fruity next time, or <laughs> uh, I hope this I hope this podcast bears fruit. See you next time. <laughs> those are good. I should start saying those. Um, yeah. Uh, usually, I just say bye. <laughs> You gotta make like a, a thing where it's like I need you know, go better, out and yeah. bear fruit or like I don't know. That's fucking good. like I should start just doing um uh uh like like closing out things like from the book of common prayer. Go out to serve and love the Lord. Oh. Okay, you know what, bye. Uh thanks for listening. Bye, thanks for listening. <laughs>